This is John Gramstrand, and I'm a certified energy specialist for CHS Ag Services in Stephen, Minnesota. We're pleased to bring you this update from the Red River Farm Network. CHS Ag Services, providing solutions for your success. Wednesday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Randy Conan. We'll also hear reports from Sierra Doctor, Whitney Pittman, and Don Wick. As expected, USDA made little change to U.S. wheat ending stocks. They raised corn ending stocks by 25 million bushels on a 25 million bushel cut to ethanol usage and raised soybean ending stocks by 15 million bushels on a 15 million bushel cut to the soybean crush. USDA also raised global wheat ending stocks by 2.4 million metric tons on larger crops in Australia and Russia. Global corn production was cut 3.6 million tons on reduced production primarily in South America. And global soybean production was reduced 5 million tons on lower crops in Argentina and the Ukraine. Argentina's soybean crop was reduced 4.5 million metric tons. Zaner Group Ag Hedge Lead Ted Seifert said reaction to the February supply and demand report was muted, even with a slightly bearish soybean number. You know, the corn carryover number came out within a million bushel of the average trade yet. So, I mean, it was as neutral as neutral could be for corn, but that is to say that the carryover did increase a little bit on a lower uh, ethanol number. Um, The bean report was a little bit surprising. It came in higher than trade expectations at 225 million bushel for carryover. Uh, the trade was expecting basically unchanged at 210, and that was the USDA lowering crush by 15 million bushels. So a little bit bigger than expected soybean carryover. That's where the initial knee-jerk reaction down came from. But Seifert said this report really had a little bit of something for everyone. This report is not the be-all, end-all. It's, 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 there's more progress that has to come uh, on lowering those South American numbers and potentially increasing our export number by their, and therefore lowering uh, the domestic carryover as well. So, like you said, very quickly, we popped back uh, above unchanged for both corn and beans. Uh, I think the argument over whether we've got a bullish scenario or a bearish scenario is going to be raging uh, going forward, and I don't think this report really changed much of anything. All the best of the best in wheat and soybean research started today in Grand Forks. Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Whitney Pittman has more. Whitney Pittman on the Red River Farm Network at the best of the best in wheat and soybean research here at the Alaris Center in Grand Forks. We are talking with University of Minnesota Extension Soil Health Specialist, Dr. Anna Cates. You talked about cover crop here today in your presentation. You covered some of the benefits of that. Just briefly, what are some of the the goals of cover crop and why you would utilize that practice? Cover crops are supposed to build your soil health by keeping the soil covered at a time of year when it's not usually covered over those winter and spring months when it's real vulnerable to erosion and over the long term they can build your soil health by building soil structure they pump organic matter out their roots and build soil structure that way you mentioned aggregate and and some of those different types of of soil structure so what do those mean what are the benefits and where do people need to make their goal their target yeah when you think about what you want your soil to do you want it to pull soil in quickly when there's a lot of rain coming and you want it to store water when you don't get rain for a while and to get that infiltration benefit get a lot of water in you need big spaces in the soil that go down so you need big spaces between aggregates in order to get that infiltration benefit and then inside aggregates which are like little snowball packets of minerals and organic matter inside you have little pores that hold water for the long term so with aggregate soil structure gives you both of those water coming in and water sticking around
You also talked a little bit about maybe overachieving on some of that, that cover crop goal. What are some of the things to keep in mind? It takes water to produce a crop, takes water to produce a cover crop, and if you have too much cover crop biomass, especially in a dry year, you can hurt your cash crop yield. So you just, it's something you manage dynamically. You walk out there in the spring, see how it looks. Is there rain in the forecast next week? Is it going to be hard to terminate it in two weeks? You try to terminate it maybe when it's less than 12 inches tall, so you get that ground cover, that organic matter going back into the soil without pulling all the water out of your system for the cash crop year. Of course, you never know when the rain's going to turn off. You have to hope uh, hope you get a good year better than we did in 2022. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us here today. You've also got a demonstration this afternoon as well. Maybe a little bit of an insight on to, as to what that'll be? Same kind of topics. I'm going to be showing how aggregates from differently managed soil behave when they get soaked in water. So do they hold up when you really saturate the soil or do they fall apart showing that your aggregates aren't strong enough to withstand one of those soaking rains? Uh, Dr. Anna Cates here joining us on the Red River Farm Network. I'm Whitney Pittman. Infrastructure, big part of the president's speech last night. Red River Farm Network farm broadcaster Don Wick spoke with Transportation Secretary about this impact on agriculture. President Biden put a stake in the ground last night saying the United States again needs to be the world leader in infrastructure. In an interview with the Red River Farm Network, we asked Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg what the infrastructure bill means for farmers, ranchers, food, and fuel processors. Well, agriculture is a huge part of what's on the president's mind and the administration's mind when we talk about having first-rate infrastructure. You know, I think uh, uh, the, the term supply chain used to be something that people who worked in shipping or in ag thought about. Maybe wasn't a household term or a kitchen table term. That's really changed in the last couple of years. I think people more than ever understand the importance of supply chains precisely because of everything that we've been through as a consequence of uh, uh, of the economic shockwaves of the pandemic and just the, the underinvestment that happened over many, many years. And the great thing about last night was that the president wasn't just saying that as part of making a case for, for something we wish would happen. Uh, he was saying that after passing the most significant legislation on infrastructure since the Eisenhower years, what that means is we're going to have better ports to, to get uh, agricultural exports out to market. We're going to have better highways and bridges for uh, for goods uh, to, to be able to move across. We're going to have better trains. You mentioned the supply chain. Obviously, it's been a, a challenging couple of years with backups at the ports. We've had some issues on the on the Mississippi River, uh, yeah. concerns that uh, go to rail and everything else. As you look ahead this year for that farm-to-food system, how do you see it looking? Well, we've gained a lot of ground compared to the worst days of the supply chain crises. I mean, even by the end of 2021, not long after we saw headlines about how Christmas was going to be canceled, we wound up having the most goods moved through our ports uh, ever. I mean, we're setting records. So there's been progress. There's a long way to go. Look, some of the failure to invest that we're seeing around the country, that's built up over 30, 40 years. Uh, but what you're going to see now is a different trajectory. And, uh, you know, spades are going to go into the ground this year. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. I'm Don Wick on the Red River Farm Network. Wednesday Farm News on the Red River Farm Network. Red River Farm Network Farm Broadcaster Sierra Doctor on the road today at the North Dakota Livestock Summit. Thanks, Randy. I'm here with Amber Bashans, Executive Director for the North Dakota Livestock Alliance here at the North Dakota Livestock Summit in Fargo. Amber, tell me a little bit about what's happening here today and what's all on the agenda. 
Yeah, so we, well, first off, we want to thank Mother Nature for the most beautiful weather we've ever had for our annual summit. So we're very excited to welcome everybody here to Fargo, to the Double Tree, where we are going to host a whole day full of wonderful presentations from all the way from on-farm milk processing through meat processing, how to start up your own swine finishing, sow operation, all the way through all of the great conversations we're going to have here. We're actually going to kick off the day with a panel discussion with two North Dakota beef producers, father and daughter duo, Jeff Schaefer and Chelsea Erdman, and um, two pig farmers actually from South Dakota who are a father-son duo, and they're going to talk about how livestock helped bring the next generation to the farm and will continue to do so. So we're really, really excited to hear how animal agriculture, what it can bring to North Dakota, not only economically, but for our families, for, you know, culturally, for rural North Dakota. So it's going to be a great, a great day. Yeah, and expanding animal agriculture has um, obviously been a very big topic in the last, you know, couple of years, especially with all the value-added agriculture coming to North Dakota. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and there are, you know, Green Bison, the Spiritwood soybean processor is here, absolutely in support of seeing more livestock come to the state of North Dakota. As you said, in the state of North Dakota right now, we have an incredible opportunity to responsibly add livestock across the state. Um, you know, we already have very strong beef beef presence here in the state. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of the discussion about expanding animal agriculture is especially um, focused on the eastern side of the state, where traditionally there's more, you know, row crop farmers. How do you talk about some of the value benefit and added value that some of these farmers will get on the eastern side of the state when you think about adding livestock to their operations? Oh, I love that question. Uh, honestly, the best answer is number two is number one. We need more manure in this state. We are manure deficient in the state of North Dakota. So when it comes to soil health and your crop management, crop rotations, you cannot beat manure. It is the best absolute all-encompassing fertilizer source for your for your soils and for that bump in crop production so i mean that that manure source on its own is is an incredible value and then also being able to feed the products that we're producing here the co-products we're producing with our sugar beet processing with all our canola processing all the above we produce so much feed here we should be capturing that value here by feeding it to our animals thank you amber Thanks. that was amber bayshans executive director for the north dakota livestock alliance reporting agriculture's business i'm sierra doctor here on the red river farm network usda's recent proposals for school nutrition and the women infants and children's programs address salt added sugar and whole grains International Dairy Foods Association Senior Vice President Matt Herrick says the proposal could potentially eliminate chocolate milk from elementary and middle school meals. There's a 60-day comment period out there that the Department of Agriculture has opened up, and we're working with our members at the International Dairy Foods Association, food companies, dairy cooperatives to ensure that we make our voices heard. The thing about when they put out these, these meal standards is, I wonder, are they talking to parents? Do they know what parents want? Do they know what moms want? And we know 80, 85% of parents out there want low-fat flavored milk served to their kids. That's what they want. Studies throughout the country have evaluated the use of low-fat low fat flavored milks in schools. They have low-fat flavored milk on the menu, and then re they remove it, and they, they measure basically what's the reaction from those kids. You know, what they end up seeing in those instances is there's lower participation first. So they have less kids eating meals. And then the second thing they see is a lot of waste. They see kids throwing out more of their meal. When they add it back into the program, low-fat flavored milk, chocolate milk, etc., kids are actually participating more in the program, and they're eating more of their meals. And that's what we want. 
That's what we want for kids in schools. We want them to consume the meals because those meals are healthy. And Herrick says this recent proposal conflicts with USDA's own dietary guidelines. Go to Red River Farm Network, rfn.com. Sign up for our weekly Red River Farm Network e-newsletter. FarmNet News will hit your email box every Monday. You're listening to the Red River Farm Network. Good afternoon. Welcome to Inside Agriculture on the Red River Farm Network. Soybean gall midge was first discovered in 2018 and and for now has been relatively unseen in the northern Red River Valley. University of Minnesota Extension Specialist Dr. Robert Cook says it's important to know the signs of this new pest. For folks in uh, North Dakota, northwestern Minnesota, it hasn't been confirmed yet, but it seems pretty likely that this pest could also be in North Dakota. Uh, my colleagues there are going to be doing a lot more sampling this year to confirm if it is or is not there. And, you know, kind of why we care about it is this insect feeds inside the soybean stems and will cause wilting and death of the plants. It infests the edges most severely, but it will spread into the fields and from Minnesota and uh, Nebraska and these other states, fields that get heavily infested can incur pretty severe yield losses. And soybean gall midge has shown resistance to pesticides and cold temperatures. So there's a lot of research going on right now and um, when we get a new pest showing up in an important crop a lot of times we look to the insecticides first as a control tool but unfortunately the insecticides don't seem to be sufficient to really provide the kind of control we need. Uh, my colleagues have evaluated seed treatments, different kinds of foliar treatments, lots of different chemicals and they'll get some uh, minor impacts on the pest population, but I don't think it's really enough to be a standalone tool. You know, so that leaves us looking for other management tactics. And Cook says that resistant varieties take time to develop and that predators or parasites of the soybean gall midge may be the key to controlling the pests in the future. Checking markets before we leave you this afternoon. March wheat Minneapolis five and three quarter cents higher at nine twenty three. July up six and three quarters. Chicago March wheat nine and three quarter higher. Kansas City March wheat five and three quarter cents higher. March corn is three and three quarter cents higher at six seventy seven and three quarters. December corn one and a half higher at five ninety five. March soybeans two and three quarter cents higher fifteen eighteen. November soybeans are down three cents at thirteen sixty seven and a half. March canola is down $6.20 a metric ton, 8.2630 Canadian. April live cattle 25 cents higher, 163.85. March feeder cattle down 42 cents at 186.77. April lean hogs 80 cents higher at 84.07. This is the Red River Farm Network.